20 Schemes is the church planting ministry of Nidri Community Church in Edinburgh, Scotland and Redeemer Fellowship Church in Bardstown, Kentucky. I'm Mez McConnell and this is the 20 Schemes podcast. This is uncut, unplanned. We have no idea what we're doing. Oh, we have an idea what we're doing, but we've no idea where we're going to go with it, right? So this is Will Savory. Will, just tell people where you're from, your church, a little bit about you. Sorry, I'm a a church planter of a church called Soul Church, which is in Neath. Right the Come on, son. Um, which is uh, in the valleys in near Swansea in right. South Wales. And so, were you part of the original Valley Commandos? I, I am the Valley Commando. You are the only one left? Yeah. Did others just go missing in yeah. action or what? Yeah, yeah, some missing in action and uh, and they just didn't, just didn't, yeah. What happened to it? Because it was launched to some fanfare a few years ago. Don't have to get into the political details. But... Yeah, I, th- I think it was just a bit of uh, people wanted different things and had different ideas. Right. And uh, Always the same, eh? Always the same. But we... Uh, That's sit- why you should run what I like to call a benign dictatorship. Amen. The guy at the top just sets the pace. Well, because people are idiots, aren't they? Democracy doesn't work. But... Um, we can talk about that later. <laughs> Democracy... Dem- you heard it here first from Wales. <laughs> Democracy doesn't work. Um, so, how long have you been doing this gig? Uh, so, six years now. How old are you? 33. So is this your, so you started at what, 26, 27? Yeah. Your first gig? Uh, yeah, first gig. I, uh, before, I was a, before I started working in the ministry, I used to be a doorman and work with special needs kids in the school. Um, but yeah, You're not built to be a doorman, to be honest, are you? No, nah, no. Nah, so were you a Christian and a doorman? I was, yeah. yeah. And how did that go when you have to smack someone in the back of the mush? Or did you not do that? Well, the Roman, Roman says that the wrath of God has been revealed uh, now. So I'd... No, but in all seriousness, did you have no. to take a, anybody out? I mean, there are times when, you know, you have to defend yourself, isn't it? And you have to defend other people. But like... Yeah, but I've been out on the town with Dom and, and you give him some lip and you abuse and you goad him and goad him. How do you stand for that? It's, you know, like, you know I, yeah, it's like Jesus, isn't it? He got spat out and mocked. Yeah, and... but come on now, son, you're not Jesus. Did you give one anyone? Beard, did you give one anyone a sly dig? I mean, I'm, I wasn't always, you know, a perfect example of uh, Christian piety. <laughs> so you come up in a Christian home? Uh, kind of. I, I grew up going to Sunday school and that. Um, and uh, in the valley you come, you're in now. No, I, I'm from Cornwall in the southwest. So you're English. I'm Cornish. It's not the same thing. Ah, I knew they'd say that. I saw, <laughs> I saw that film about the Cornish singer. Did you see that? No. Yeah, yeah, and they all get agitated every time you ask them, so are you English? Yeah, that's right. They go, no, we're Cornish. So you're not Welsh? No, but I've got, I got Welsh family and my wife's Welsh and I'm kind of an adopted you, son of Wales. And you sound Welsh? Oh, I've been there a long time. All things to all men, isn't it? And so your family are believers? My, my mother is. Right. Um, it's a complicated, it's a mess, you know, my parents have split up and um, yeah. uh, my dad either was never a believer or he was just backslidden um, and my brother and sister are nowhere, you know. So it's, uh, I used to think I grew up in a Christian home, but now being in a church, yeah. I'm like, oh no, that's what a Christian home is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not what I had. You know? So what do your family think about what you do? My mum's bitterly disappointed that I'm not a teacher or something like that. Well, you are a teacher, <laughs> just maybe not the yeah. one she wants, right? Um, but... Uh, yeah, like, they're all right about it, actually. They don't understand it. But my dad, my dad's, he's supportive because he thinks, well, um, he sees that I'm, I th- I'm trying to help people. Yeah, you're not dealing crack, right? Well, no, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm trying to help people. And, you know, he doesn't agree with the fact that the gospel is the way you help people, but he can see that, you know. Have, have they been to your church? Yeah, a few times. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, my dad was taking notes during the sermon, which was a bit disconcerting. <laughs> <laughs> did he ever chat with you about it afterwards? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah. Hammer you on your Christology, did he? <laughs> That's mad. That's good, yeah. though. See, my dad's been and heard me preach once, I think, in 20 years. It's hard for family, right? Because they remember you when you were a little rat boy. Yeah, and it's funny, my dad, my dad often says that. When I, first, when I was first converted, and uh, I really sort of kicked against my dad, because my dad was my hero growing up, you know? Yeah. And uh, he, he's, he's a bodybuilder and karate and stuff and all that, so I, like, I idolised him. And I, when I became a Christian, I realised, hang on, he's not, he's not the man I thought he was. Like, he's, he's not a good man. And uh, so I kicked against that, and he'd always remind me, I know what you, he'd say things like, I know who you really are. Hmm. You know, and like you're just like me. Don't don't you know? Don't don't don't, don't try out with me, boy. Sort of thing, you know. Um, which is uh, so. How did you get seriously involved in Christianity then? Yeah. So I was I was um, I used to go to a a big youth like summer camp thing every summer with my Sunday school and that. Is that um, EMW camps? <laughs> no, no. It's uh, something called Soul Survivor. All right, I've heard of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and. Uh, I used to go just to try and get girls' phone numbers, to be honest. And How did that um, go for you? Not great. Right. Um, but uh, there's a guy called Louis Giglio, who's a big American preacher. He did the old space thing, which is pretty yeah, cool, Yeah, that's right? cool, that isn't it? That is a pretty cool. What's that thing, space thing called? Anybody know that? Have you seen that? Louis Giglio DVD. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. It's a bit of BS at the end. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, you know, he does not go on church. Bit of a stuff, bit but. of a stretch, but I, I thought I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I like the fact that it's like you know the moon. We're, all, we're like the moon, aren't we? The church is. Yeah, yeah. We're just a ball of dirt that reflects light of the sun, which I thought was cool. But um, is that but, what he says? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Is he any good, Louis Giglio? I've never heard of. He's a, he's a good preacher. But he's not like he's not like uh, I, you know. I, I'm, I'm, he's a great communicator. He's a great communicator. Um, and I was converted and was preaching, so I can't. Well, yeah. What did he preach? He, he, actually, he was just preaching on the cross. Like he, he was doing like an evening series that was all fancy in Wales. This is in this is in Somerset. This is like a, a big Christian like, hmm. youth festival. Ten thousand people there, and um, I uh, I went to the morning session for a change. Uh, and he was just, just preaching on the cross about the, what Jesus went through on the cross, and you know I'd heard. I heard a sermon like that a thousand times before, you know, and heard it at Sunday school. Um, but that, at that point, I just really felt God was talking to me. I, I was suddenly convicted of my sin. I always thought I was all right before, probably, be, probably better than my mates, you know. You know, I was, in, I was in a gang and I was doing stupid stuff and treating people badly and, and all that. But I kind of felt like I was better than my friends, really, because I wasn't, I was a scumbag, but not as much of a scumbag as they were, you know. And how old were you? This is, I was uh, 17. Hmm. You know, I started drinking at the age of 11 quite heavily. So um, you came to faith at 17, mm-hmm. and you were running about with a gang of lads, up to no good, as we all know what that means. Yeah. And um, what was that? You, you, did, you did suddenly just go home and start reading the Bible and attending church? Yeah, so after that meeting, it was kind of a meeting where you have to stand up so people pray oh, for yeah, you. Yeah, know? Yeah. So I stood up in a massive marquee for, you know, built for 10,000 people, it's about, you know, half full, and no one came to pray for me. I, I, thought, you know, I was a little bit perturbed by that. But like, that made me go back then to the people I came with, the youth leaders that brought me, and say to them, do you know what, I've been living a lie for the last however many years. I've been conning you. Like, I, I, I need Jesus. So I want to I ask him my life now. I need forgiveness. Um, I've been living a double life. Uh, yeah. And so, so from there then, I, one of the guys started discipling me. And he'd meet, I mean, meet up regularly, and I just started devouring the Bible, you know. And were you at Steve's church at this point? No, no, this is, so it's a, a church. It's, 
the search in Gloucester. All oh, right. Yeah. Um, okay. And then and then I came to I uh, went to Swansea for college, and then. Uh, what did you study at Swansea? History, which is no good for anything really. But I like it. I not. I quite like it. I enjoyed it, but. And then you found. And then yeah, so the church I sort of was converted in was like quite sort of social gospel, quite wishy washy, quite charismatic. Um, I was kind of a bit confused, really. Like everything was about how I felt. Every time I had a indigestion, I thought the Lord was telling me something, and kind of like yeah, colonoscopy. Yeah, I struggled with a lot of guilt, and just was a bit all over the shop, really, and didn't have uh, any assurance about anything. Um, well, not and, getting and the and Bible, I, you're getting nothing, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then I moved to Swansea, and then uh, went to Mount Pleasant with Steve Levy, and like I was like, oh, you just. Just do what the Bible says. So the Bible t- tells you how to live your life. Let me just how to feel. on Steve Levy. Because mm-hmm. I know he had an, he got an illness. He's got like a thing in his brain, didn't he? Acromegaly, yeah. Which makes him big. Could, but yeah. we're still going to rip it out of him. He's probably got one of the biggest heads in the UK. Absolutely. Now, Dever or him? I, because I, you know that would be good for Louis Giglio talk. He could have used those two illustrations, words. couldn't he? I, I, I've stood next to Steve and Mark at the same time yeah. recently, and Steve's definitely got a bigger head than Mark. I think Mark's forehead, proportionally, is bigger, but as a whole, Steve's head's bigger. His that, skull. We, we need to get him a certificate, <laughs> because I, I've scoured, I have scoured the globe for this individual. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, folks, wherever the camera's on me, you heard it here first. Steve Levy has got a bigger head than Mark Dever. Although Matt Dever is a genius. Not suggesting Steve Levy isn't. Steve Levy's more like the mad professor, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. No, you. I you're mean, going to I, I, I back your man. Yeah, I, feel, I, I actually genuinely feel completely privileged to uh, train under Steve. No, he's a, he's he's a, a geezer. He's a man. Who do you think would win in a, in a wrestle between him and Mark? Oh, Steve, Steve's nasty. Is he? Yeah, we used to play a thing called Knees Rugby, which is like where you play rugby on your knees. So it was like some of, the met, some of the lads in the church, Steve... Couple of the older boys, like with the young lads, and basically it's just like fighting, you know, like, on your knees. It's just sheer, yeah, just sheer violence. There's no pace to it, and uh, you know, Stephen put his thumb in my eye, and you know, he stamped on some kid's neck when it was on a step and stuff, you know. So he's uh, nice. He's my know. kind of pastor. Yeah. So anyway, you went there. Anyway, little distraction there. Just you know, the head thing. I'm gonna have to look closely now, Steve, when I see him next. Um, you went there, started teaching from the Bible, which was obviously a novelty. Yeah. Um, so, you, so did you just sort of go there as a student and just stay there for the three years? Yeah, so I went, I went as a student and I sort of told myself, I'm going to find a church where the worship is amazing and, uh, and you know, it's full of, uh, it's contemporary and da-da-da. And then I went to Mount and it wasn't like that at all. It's changed now, but it was like, it was an organ. And yeah, yeah, same as when I came here. You know, and... Uh, but when Steve's preaching, it was just like God was like being smacked in the face. Yeah, yeah. By the Holy There's something amazing about simple Bible exposition yeah. with no faffing around, right? And I, yeah, and I was convicted of my sin, and it's it like someone had been telling Steve about my life. Praise and, the Lord, man. So I knew, and obviously it's God, isn't it? So, so yeah, and I thought this is the place to be, and uh, so I went, I sort of turned up in Swansea, trying to bring everyone to church, you know, passionate about Jesus and speech and preaching the gospel or whatever. Thinking I knew everything, and soon realised I didn't know anything. <laughs> and Steve got me in, you know, into reading the Puritans, and uh, and then later on the Church Fathers. And Who's stuff. your favourite Puritan? 
probably Thomas Watson. Yeah, I like Thomas Watson. Now, what do you think about all this crap coming out of America about the Puritans? That they're all racists, slaveholder owners, and we shouldn't be lionising them like we do. Yeah, I think, you know, Luther's one of my, one of my big heroes, you know. But is he perfect? Absolutely not. You know, his stuff on, uh, on the Baptists just makes me feel that uncomfortable as a Baptist. You know, his stuff on, 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 on the Jews isn't, uh, isn't red hot. I think some of the, sometimes these, they're men of their times, aren't they? You know, like, um, what's his face? Uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards, you know? Like, I think he's a good, godly man. And, yeah, he, had, he did have slaves, but... You know, like, did he have slaves, Jonathan Edwards? You know, that's what I've heard anyway, you know, but yeah. I think, you know, it's a man, whereas other people like, um, later on, like Dabney, I think, he, you know, he's just a racist, you know, I think it's, it's, it's I mean, so I think it depends, isn't I it? I never read any of Dabney, so I, I don't bother. Right. Um, I'm just interesting this, this sort of race thing that's touched a lot of yeah. issues out here. Do you, do you think the race thing is similar to the class thing here? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah. It's actually kind of the equivalent, isn't it? But I think it's easy then, isn't it, to to, to demonise everyone. Um, but I think it's also important to recognise that you know the people are oppressed and are neglected, you know, and and yeah, I think uh, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of the times actually. My experience of people in America that I've spoken to and met and a few times I've visited and stuff, it's actually very similar. It's more, it's more about class. It's more about poverty. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem is that the, the, the large majority of black, the black community is poor, you mm -hmm. know, in those areas. And so it's, you know, um, yeah, so I think... There's a lot of nuance to it, isn't there? Yeah. Um, so you study history. I'm assuming you got a degree. I did, yeah. 2-1? 2-2? 2-1, yeah. And... Then what, you think, ah, screw that, I'll become a church planter? Well, yeah, so like I, I, I did a year apprenticeship at the church. So I thought, well, you know, I was like just passionate about telling people about Jesus. I thought I can do that. And maybe, maybe I should see if that's what God wants me to do full time, like be a minister. Like, am I gifted that way? Or I could do it as a, as a bin man or a doorman. Or I thought about becoming a policeman so I could jo you know, join the biggest gang. And yeah. then, you know, I fancy kicking some doors in and oh, yeah, yeah. Taking, taking some stuff on the, you know. Uh, Passing people's heads open, but uh, yeah. So I did an apprenticeship, and it was a, and it was a mental year. That year I did the apprenticeship. Like my my family fell apart. My, my gran, who was my, sort of my favorite, my kind of favorite person in my life, she got bone cancer. I found out my dad was having an affair. My sister went into the priory for an eating disorder and almost died. So just like a bit full on, you know. And uh, and I and I was getting married at the end of the year. So like, the, the elders are like, oh look. We don't. We're not. It's not we don't think we can. It's not fair for us to like assess you too much. You know, like go go and work, and and then we'll keep testing you and we'll keep come back sort of thing. You know, um, so I, so I carried on working as a doorman. And I started working in schools then, um, special needs kids, uh, kids in the autistic spectrum, and and then like started doing in a year then working with the head of year in another school, like doing like attendance and working with the naughty kids and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, yeah, and then I was still preaching and helping in the church, um, and uh, we had like a little satellite church that was in uh, the east side of Swansea, which is like um, the, the most deprived part of Swansea, 
and uh, the Swansea's a crap hole well, generally, yeah, right? Yeah, full, yeah. It's, it's there's like there's the Middlesbrough of Wales, isn't it? It's pretty, pretty much. There's a, there's a nice bit on the end of the gower, that's nice. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is The holly bit. But, um, but yeah, it's not great. And um, yeah, so then um, kind of working for a bit and testing me. And then uh, so they called me on then. And then, uh, you know, I wasn't going to be a church plant originally. Actually, a church in. Uh, so I started in the August. And then in November, there was a church in South Korea uh, had a vision for reaching Wales. Um, they wanted local churches in Wales to help. You know, they wanted to empower us to reach the, the poorest people in the nation who weren't being reached. You know, um, so they, and they were really hot on church and hot on you know, reaching the least. So we were like, fantastic. We'd love to, you know, partner with you in that. So let me just uh, stop you there because I was recently speaking somewhere. And the, the, the debate, it wasn't really a debate because I shut it down, but um, the, the, one of the speakers, very influential, said that actually there's no difference in the UK between the rich and the poor when it comes to access to the gospel. Everybody has got the same, pretty much the same access, which is very little. And my th point was, that is patently not true. Hmm. Even, even though there's very little gospel work, I mean, middle class people need the gospel, everybody needs the gospel, yeah. that's clear, right? But if you come from the poorest, 10% in this country, you have access to practically zero Christianity. Would you agree with that? Is that the same in Wales? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, because Wales is smaller, it's slightly different, isn't it? Like, where we are in Neath, it's, you know, it's I don't hear of people queuing up to go to the valleys, though. No, oh, no, no one wants to go there, and people leave. So there's, you know, like, there's, if they can, if they can yeah. council estates and schemes there where you where you move from, not where you move to, right? Yeah, that's right. And you know, you go to the church and there's no one like you, or you don't know anyone who goes to church. You know, like when I work when I work the doors, all the guys on my team had never met a Christian before. You know, these are men in their thirties. It's one. And now, were they with it when you talk to them about the Lord? Uh, mixed. Cut, you know? cut the cut the language out, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I, a few guys were, were really. You know, they're a couple of real wrong ones, you know. So they and they were the ones who were really interested. Yeah. And I, you know, it's been a long time witnessing to them, and and uh, I tend to find the more aggressive door types or the guys up to no good round here tend to be the ones when you get them away from their pals and giving it that, yeah. they tend to be really freaked out by spiritual things. Yeah. And one of the guys, he tell he tell me things that he didn't tell anyone else. Yeah. Like he's like you know like he'd be like certain crimes he committed. You know, uh, he'd be like, he's like, oh, I don't tell anyone this, but you know, it was me that did that arson, or it was, you know, da, da, da. and he, he'd sort of say, like, I don't feel guilty about anything. Like, he, you know, he talked about, um, he, you know, he helped, he helped collect a debt for someone, and, and, uh, yeah. and I won't go into what happened, but like, you know, he didn't feel guilty, didn't feel guilty about it, and it kind of freaked him out that he didn't feel guilty about it. Um, then he'd never go to church with you. Yeah, a couple, they come a few times. Um, like, yeah, some of the guys did. Only, only for a brief period, you know. And one of the guys still comes at Christmas with his family. That's good, though. Um, He's still got contact. And right? I, one of the guys is just, just after I finished working with them and started working in the church full time. I couldn't, I couldn't distinctly manage both. I wouldn't have minded doing both. When I did my apprenticeship, I was do, still doing both. So let's go back to the thing. You, you, you got married. Life probably got a bit calmer for you after the madness. 
still doing these cutler jobs? When did you go like full time into being an intern or a pastoral assistant? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, that was seven seven years ago, uh, two thousand and twelve. Um, I started yeah full time, and then yeah, just to work in the church. And then, but obviously that church in South Korea came and shared their vision. So that was in November. So then January, they're like, we, what we, we're looking for we're looking for a valley commando, we're looking for somebody to go and plant a church. And Steve said, I, I sure gig will. And I was up for it, you know. Um, what did you know about church planning at that point? Not much, really. Um, yeah, you know, obviously Steve had, Steve had done the church plant himself. Yeah. Um, you know, couch estate in Swansea, so you know, I learned a lot from him and bounced ideas off each other and uh, and all that sort of stuff. Uh, you know, I think lots of people talk about contextualization at the moment, and obviously it's important. But I think fundamentally. Uh, people sin is sin, and the gospel is the gospel. You know, um, I think it's less important than people give it credence yeah. for personally. But obviously, you need to be able to relate to people. So you need, uh, you need yeah. to talk. You need to look at the people you're preaching to, and talk to them, and relate to them, and talk about things that they experience and know. Yeah. So the application, the application is where it's at, isn't it? You know, but I so know. But people obviously say to me, "Oh, it's easy for you because you come from a working class background, and you can blah blah blah." And in some senses, that's true. But in other senses. Paul's a Jew of Jews. Do you know what I mean? The cultural gap between him and the Gentiles would have been far larger then than the cultural gap between a middle-class person coming into a council estate, right? Yeah. I, so I, I think it's often an excuse, this. this uh, yeah, I agree. I think, because you just need to talk, listen to people, don't you? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, and the, the human heart is the human heart, isn't it? Uh, fundamentally, even it might manifest itself in different ways, isn't it? Yeah. But sin's still sin, isn't it? And but you need to be careful. Like, when Andy first came here, you know, I told him, You've got to hide your Downton Abbey box set. <laughs> People be seeing that be the end of your ministry before you even get started, son. Yeah. So there is some, there, there, are, there are some rules. I'm interested, when did you then move on? You moved on to an estate, I'm assuming. Yeah, so Neath is it's a valley town, so it's... Um, I know uh, nothing about Welsh geography, so... Yeah, yeah, so it's, so like it's, there's, it's a bit more mixed, you know, so there's, lot, there's large bits that are just estates. Yeah. Um, but there's also... Most of bits are mixed in as well, you know. Um, so and we're in, so we and we're in the like say we're in the town centre, but right. it's not a bit, not a big area, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sounds a bit like Lockheed, which is like about it's got about eighteen thousand people. It's like a little town centre, but there's loads of bits around. Yeah, um, yeah. And so we started there, and um, I just yeah did everything I could to move, move, we moved there. And uh, did you have a building? Did you have no? So we we hired, we hired the a town hall right in the centre. And we also hire, we do that for a Sunday, and then we hire their community centre, which is just around the corner, which is owned by the same town council, um, for like lunchtime meetings and other sessions that we do. And did you go with a little group of you, or did you just go on your jack jumps? Yeah, so we took my wife and I. We took about five of our families with us. That's not a bad start. Yeah, and quite a few left. <laughs> That's um, par for the course. Yeah, um, and like it's been it's been tough because we had we had three guys that we were grooming for leadership, um, and. One of them backslid, one of them said, oh, we can't do this at the moment, yeah. my family will go back to the main church. Statistically, around 80% of people who go out to plant a church return to their mothership within two years, apparently. Yeah, well, so we weren't doing bad then. We didn't quite, yeah, yeah, yeah about I, 50%, so that's all right. I feel better I now. remember <laughs> here, when I first came here and heard a bit of the history, they'd sent about 50 people over and they hemorrhaged practically everyone. Yeah. By the time I arrived, we just gave up. Yeah, but we, and we you know, we got some really good people. Like some some of the guys who come, 
they, they, they live in the area, they live near the area anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, and they were, they were traveling to the church in Swansea. And some of them were just people who live in Swansea but were committed to. So when did you see your first convert? How long in? Uh, it was about uh, two, two, yeah, two years for the first person to be baptized and add to the church. That is pretty good. Um, you know, and like we. That will be shocked to lots of American people who think that you should give up. I was in a, I won't say a famous person's name, church planting seminar, who said if you've not got a church of 200, by year three, church planting's not for you. <laughs> and so I said, right then, why don't I go, I'll go to Biblesville, USA, where you come from, and I'll stick you in a housing scheme in Scotland, and let's see who does what in three years. Yeah. It's just people have no concept of just how difficult it is, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, we had, I mean, I had this conversation with uh, the, the guys at the FIC recently, yeah. and, they're, and they're great, you know, um, but kind of like... FIC are stepping up, by the way. Mm. Things are changing. And, uh, I'm proud of them. You know, if you if you're planting a church in, the, in a metropolitan area of students, isn't it? You you, you get transfer growth uh, all um, the time. You know, but we 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 haven't had any of that. We've had we've had backsliders being restored. We've had people converted. Yeah. Um, you know, no one's leaving their city centre church to go to a council estate. No. Students are going with other students, uh, not yeah. to a council. So we in the twelve years I've been here, and we've got a few universities on our doorstep, so to speak. I think we've had maybe, maybe four students. And they've, they've all been good and they've all stayed the full three years and done their time with us, but mostly they're off to the big city centre, yeah. you know, the university churches. Yeah, and I think it's, e it's easy, isn't it? When if, and especially if you're starting with a big, if you, if you can take 50 people with you, and you've already got a church, haven't you? Like, we, we still got uh, 25 of us or something, which is a decent number, but... So how many have, uh, are there of you now? So we have about 50 on a Sunday now. Which is pretty good. Mostly, I'm assuming, local people. Yeah, local people. Um, so I've met some of them. Yeah, some right natters. We got, I we, love them. What's, the, what's been the hardest thing about planting that church? Hmm. I, I, I think, personally, like we, we've seen a lot. It's been really exciting. We've seen a lot of guys coming in, and girls with addiction issues, um, chaotic lifestyles, which it makes you feel good. Like, you feel like you know, you're offering people hope who desperately mm -hmm. need it. Um, but obviously, when people backslide and relapse, people die. Um, hmm. It's oh yeah, I know you know it's tough, isn't it? And yeah. I think um, yeah, we're, that, we're talking about the best thing though. Oh, we'll go to the worst thing. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so I think um, so. That's the it's hard, isn't it? That kind of it's just a real emotional roller coaster, um, and yeah, but and that. For like, me, the best thing is when someone gets saved, but you know, and they're dead, they're buzzing, and you know for the next six months they're going to be buzzing, but then you know it's like being in a holy in another culture. <laughs> yeah. Culture shock sets in, and you start thinking, this is actually crap. And then you get that time between the sort of six to 12 month period where they start, if, they, if it's not a genuine conversion, mm. they start falling away. And so when, for me, I call it passing the bump. Once they've, mm. once they've had their first major crisis or fall and see how if they can handle that, be repentant, get back up and get in the game and get through the first year, almost invariably, they'll stay the distance. Almost, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a general rule, but almost invariably they will. Most, most, we lose 90% of professions within the first 12 months. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Actually, that's the heartbreaker, but the glorious one is that one yeah. percent nugget that comes through. And we, we've been really encouraged. We've got quite a few that have come in with mental health issues. Um, and as one, as one geezer, absolute legend, whose life has been really hard. And uh, his, uh, he lost his wife and he, he legged it from uh, the mental health services down in England hmm. and moved back to, back to Neath. It was on the run. And, uh, but he, he, he started coming and he, he didn't talk to anyone for the first six months. Li literally didn't talk to anyone, but he'd come in and sit and listen. And seeing the change in him, and now he's a member of the church. He's got baptized as a member of the church. And like, he, you know, he, he, like you can rely on him. And he's the way God's just changed him. He's calm. Like he doesn't have the same anxiety issues. So like, that, that kind of fruit. There's another couple. Um, they've both got learning difficulties. Um, and they were living together. And then they, they were sort of converted. And they're like, we need to get married. So we married them on a Sunday. And it was amazing. No. It was like kind of serious comedy. It was great. Um, but it was, that's one of the highlights of my ministry. Like, just, no. just a real joy, you know. And we did that with a couple once we baptized. But we baptized them on. We baptized them and married them on the same weekend. That's awesome. That's pretty cool. Let me uh, just go back to the mental health thing because obviously pff, we have massive problem with mental health in all the twenty schemes churches, mm. and you know it sucks the pastoral marrow out of your bones. How do you deal with that pastorally? Do you? We're going to talk. One of our sessions this this week this, this weekend is. Uh, in the lunchtime session is talking about pastoring people in crisis. Mm. How much do you take on? Do you take it all on? Do you um, get help from outside uh, counsellors? How, how do you work it? Yeah, so we... Obviously, there are, time, there are times when people are in real crisis that they... We just say, you need to go. You need to go to the doctor. You need to go to the... Or Ward F. Is, Such as... Um, so like uh, one of the guys he has starts he gets his anxiety too great, he's hallucinating, and yeah, he's yeah, yeah. you know he's off on one. Like Paranoia, yeah. You know, and you you're not even quite sure are they schizophrenic are they dangerous? It's very yeah. difficult, right? Um, but yeah, on the whole, it's like it's we we try and do it. You know, just it's about helping them to not believe lies and to dispel the lies of the devil with the truth. Yeah, you yeah know? I agree. And, and just sort of, through preaching and through biblical counselling, you know. So I think a lot of churches just can't be bothered with the time it takes to put into some people. Yeah. And therefore they just go, go and see a doctor and get some pills. And then I think um, the other danger is we think, well, we'll just do it all because it's unbiblical to send them to secular, you know, or that, that they take pills or medicine. And I think, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, balance is somewhere in between. Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's person by person, isn't it? You know, there's, there's one lady, lady I can think of that, you know, like I think lithium is a is a really powerful, dangerous oh, kind of evil. Yeah, I know lithium yeah. drug, you know, uh, but and like I'm, you know, like I wouldn't recommend it for anyone. But actually, they just there are times you just need it, isn't it? You just need to be able to be stable enough to be able yeah. to listen and hear the truth. And what we say about antidepressants is this: look. They're not the solution, but chemically, I don't, I'm not a doctor, I don't know what's going on in people's brains. I do know lots of drugs over a long period of time messes with brain chemistry, that's a, a fact. Yeah. And so I, I, what I'll say to people is, maybe what you need is to get some stability for a short period of time within a short window, mm. and then we can actually have a cogent conversation that's it. when you're a bit more 
balance. Now, I know some of my reformed brothers disagree with me, think I'm being whatever, but um, we deal with mental health guys and girls in industrial levels, right? I mean, our entire lives would be just yeah. taken up. And so you have to have some... I think when you're planning in a scheme or the, 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 the states, the, the, the valleys, part of your working out your discipleship strategy has got to take that into consideration far more than in what well, sort of city centre metropolitan churches. I'm not saying people don't have mental health but from richer communities, but we it, have it at just yeah. at volume, right? And people are, come from such messed up, chaotic oh, lives. Yeah. You know, like... They come with 10 carers each. Yeah, and, you know, like... So, yeah, some of the guys that we've been discipling, like, they just haven't lived normal lives yeah. for, so, for so long or ever. Yeah. You know, so one of the guys, you know, he, he, st he started uh, he started with amphetamine and heroin sort of 12, 13, yeah. you know, and so he doesn't, like, just doesn't know how to function yeah, yeah. normally, yeah, you know, yeah. in that sense, you know, so you're teaching everything, you know, like, when I meet, you know, all kinds of basic life skills, let alone... Yeah. So it's that kind of the, the, the level and the, and the depth and the, the time it takes to disciple people like that is... So is, when, are you is, not, when are you stop being a pastor and start becoming a social worker? Because that's a danger as well, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, uh, uh, to, to be honest, that's something that I, I struggle with a little bit. Like, I, you know, I, I want to I wanna help people and it's easy to fall into... Like, Messiah. Yeah. Like, oh, what, oh, oh, will, will, will help me. It's like, no, nah, I can't help you with Jesus care. Oh, they come in with a problem and it's an easy fix for you. So you think, you know what, I'll just solve this. Yeah. But they don't learn anything. So here's our general rule of principle at Nidri. I don't do anything for somebody that they could do themselves. Hmm. No matter how damaged they are, they've got along, albeit badly in life, before they met me. And so I'm trying to constantly think, are we over-shepherding these people? Are we over-discipling? Are we just becoming another care worker yeah. on the list of people? We just happen to talk about Jesus a bit. And so we're constantly facing that battle that we've got to keep them. Make sure they're relying on Jesus, not relying on us. Yeah. Make sure that we put them to the gospel, not to our opinion on, uh, on everything. Man, it, it, it's just a constant. Yeah. And they're all different, yeah. <laughs> aren't they? That's the frustrating thing. What's the most um, crushing heartbreak you've had? Uh, so there's a guy who. Um, so just hang on a minute. What, what, what time are we at, John? Uh, Coming up for 40 minutes. Are we? Right. Oh. We're nearly finished. Well, a, yeah, a, man, a lad called Craig, who was a good friend of mine. He. Uh, this will go out. This isn't. Yeah, it's fine. He's, de okay. yeah, he, he's dead. He's dead. Okay. That's the problem. You know, he um, he was coming. He was doing great. He was a real, like, he, like he's one of the most prolific burglars in, in our area. Right. He was one of, and like he was, he was famous. He. And he just before he went into prison, he came to our church and was really interested. Him and his wife, he went went into prison for burglary. His wife uh, died of an overdose, suicide slash over, overdose, um, intentional overdose, I think. And then he he was obviously gutted. And I I'd been told he, he rang me and said from the chaplaincy, "Will you come and visit me in prison?" I was like, "Of course I will." And then I said, the chaplain said, "I'll ring you back and I'll arrange it." And she never rang me back, and I forgot. You know, and then someone told me that he'd hung himself in prison. So I was, I was destroyed. I spent two weeks, like, I was gutted, you know, I blaming myself. And, and, then, uh, and, then I, and then I had a phone call uh, from him. <laughs> I was like, oh, you're alive. And he's like, yeah, yeah, but I'm, I'm in a bad way, but I'm getting out next week. And I was like, well, meet, meet me here, meet me on this day, this time, and we'll, 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 
we'll talk together. And uh, so we turned up, and and then yeah, he just got really spoke to him, and like, a couple of times miraculously, at uh, one time he was walking down to the train tracks to 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 go and lie on the train tracks because he'd had enough. Mm. Like, um, and like, I decided, like he would, I'd been trying to ring him all morning to pick him up, and he was like, nah, and he wasn't answering. So I thought I'd just swing by and see if I can find him. And I, I went, went the wrong way, you know, like, like an idiot, wasn't concentrating. Turn around the corner, and he was just there on the, on the corner by the bridge, you know. I was like, get in the van, you know. And and from that then, he, he started doing day discipleship, and uh, you know, he was converted, and uh, yeah, served in the church. Everyone loved him, you know. He's a real sort of character, real geezer. And then uh, he relapsed once, came back, um, and then uh, the curse of universal credit. He uh, got him a big back payment. Uh, it's like, what is wrong with these people? How stupid is that? Anyway, and and yeah, and uh, on the Wednesday I did Bible study in his new, in his new flat. He's, and then Thursday he bumped me off. He's like, oh, I rang him. He's like, oh, I, I'm not well. Just didn't sit right with me anyway. And then Friday afternoon, I had a phone call from his stepdaughter, who'd been to go and see him and couldn't get in a flat, and she found him dead. Um, and that was, yeah. It's a killer, right? It was, yeah, it was, the, it was the first time. Okay. Yeah, overdosed, and um, and yeah, we still, yeah, we don't know. Who, and he he'd been diagnosed. He'd been he'd been told he had cancer, and um, and that was on the Sunday or Saturday. And then on the Sunday, I brought him to church, and he'd written these amazing poems about which I didn't like him at all. Do you know what I mean, like it wasn't. But he'd written these poems about I wanted to be with Jesus. I was ready to die, um, and uh, yeah, all this sort of stuff, and. Um, yeah, but then on the, by the Friday he was gone. You're heartbreaking, aren't they, bud? Yeah. And it be the tragedy is, ten a penny these stories, aren't they? Yeah. It's yeah. brutal out. It's a war out there. That's why we need gospel churches. That's right. In our darkest places. This is my final question: Can a middle class person plant a church in our communities? Uh, yeah. But I think you have to. It's, you have to come, isn't it, and listen, and and be all things to all men, isn't it? If you're gonna if you're gonna be a colonial, I'm gonna save the day. It's not gonna happen, is it? Riding in your like white charger, <laughs> yeah. they'll just they'll Tally just ho. yeah they'll just steal your charger and send you out <laughs> naked, won't they? But um, but I, I absolutely fundamentally believe I get criticism for this all the time that I'm against the middle class, blah blah blah. I'm bringing division. No, I'm not. Division already exists. Middle class people can plant gospel churches in poor communities. But generally, middle-class Christians have settled for a comfortable life. Go to uni. I'm not criticizing that. We've both got degrees, right? Go to uni, get a nice paid job, buy my first house, get my first car, move up, you know, have some kids, then extend the house, buy a bigger house, get a bigger car, blah, 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 blah. They aren't moving into our communities with anything like the regularity that we need yeah. in order to, to, to bring gospel light back. So we need middle-class people, right? We absolutely need them, but yeah. they're not coming, are they? They're no. not coming in sufficient enough numbers. And and yeah, and like you know, the, all the people we've reached, on the whole, you know, they're, they're either generationally haven't worked yeah. or they're well, on low yeah. income. So you know, I, I, the giving in the church has hardly gone up, yeah. even though we've doubled in size. Well, I was trying to explain you know? to someone when I was a lad many years ago. I sound old now, but I'm 46, <laughs> right? So. Um, uh, when I was in my teens, and both my sisters gave birth to kids in their teens, right? Um, 
and they were young girls, a lot of young girls having babies at 12, 13, 14, right? And mum or grandma used to look after the kids, but we are way past that. Grandma is now the local Valium dealer here. I'm saying this is more than one generation. We're mm. talking two, three generations now of people who have. Well, grandma was a drug dealer. My, gr you know, my ma's a dealer. My daughter. It's just, it's just, it's. I don't think people understand how deep rooted and cyclical this thing is. That's why I can I compare council estates and schemes to um, North American Indian reservations, mm. because you go in there and they have cycles of this stuff because it's intergenerational because these are very close communities. Not that people don't come in and out, this, thing's, this place is changing, but you know there are people on this estate whose families have been here for about the 200 years it's been in existence. That is a very tight connection that people don't quite understand. And with that has come a whole generation and, and cycle. And only the gospel can free be. That's it. Who knows what we got, mate? But the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the best mercy ministry is a healthy local church. Thanks, bud, appreciate it. With these conversations, we're trying to expose some of the issues we experience in our ministries. We hope that with honest and frank conversations, we can begin to open up on some of the hard realities of church planting and revitalisation in schemes and council estates around the UK. In fact, even around the world. In this spirit, these conversations will be published completely uncut.